Welcome to worship. It's good to be with you. If you're visiting, we're grateful that you're here. Uh, before we get started, I'll just mention that there's a couple announcements on the back of your bulletin. There's uh, for youth, if you're part of the youth, and there's a save the date. So be sure you look at the back of your bulletin for those things. Um, we come into God's presence by his help, by his spirit. And so we'll take a few moments now as the music plays to quiet our hearts and our minds to prepare for worship. We'll do that now. Would you please stand for the call to worship? Our call to worship comes from Psalm 66, verses 5 through 9. Hear God's invitation to you to come and worship Him. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in His deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in Him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. Would you worship God with me? We'll sing hymn number two, which is, O worship the king. Let's sing hymn number two together.
Pray with me. God, we have been reminded this week that we are frail children of dust, and we are feeble. We are frail. We are vulnerable to weather events that we are not prepared for, weather events that can come at any moment. And God, we know even in those times that you will not fail us, that you are with us, that you are walking with us through those times of great suffering, of great uh, inconvenience, uh, of great monetary loss, whatever it is, Lord, you are with us in those things. And so we come before you in worship this morning, and we ask that you would empower this time by your Spirit, that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit this morning as we worship you, that we would do all things for your glory, and that you would encourage our hearts through this time. Would you lead us now in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would take your bulletin, we'll be reciting the Apostles' Creed, which is our confession of faith for this season. And this is a summary of what the Bible teaches us about God, about us, and the world. And we believe it's a great summary for the Christian faith. So, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. This is a time in our service where uh, we come before God uh, both individually and as a church body, um, worshiping God through prayer, communing with God through prayer. So we'll take a few moments now uh, for you to individually and uh, quietly go before your maker, your God, and be in communication with him, talk with him about what's on your mind, about the needs of this church, about the needs of your family or your life. Uh, I'll give you a few moments to do that, and then I'll lead us in a time of corporate prayer. Uh, But we rely on God for all things, so let's go before him and take some time to pray. Let's pray now. Dear Father, you invite us in your word, as we heard earlier, to come and see what you've done, to come and see. And you invite us to come and see what you've done for sinful man, for me and for everyone in this room and for the whole world. God, you're a God of invitation and overflowing goodness. You're a God of blessing and joy and victory, and you created us to share it with you. And yet we turned against you. We doubted your goodness. We doubted your word. And we trusted ourselves. And so we pray this morning that you would forgive us, Father. You would forgive us of our pride, of our selfishness, of our self-confidence. We pray that you would free us of the sin 
that clings so closely to us, that haunts our thoughts at night, that turns us inward to ourselves at the cost of everyone else. Lord, rather than be people that invite the poor, the downcast, those who we think might be a little odd, we're people who invite only those who will make us happier. So we pray you would forgive us of this and make us more like yourself, the God of invitation to all who are hurting, to all who are weak. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would let us rejoice and enjoy your presence again this morning in worship. We don't deserve your invitation, and only in your power can we accept it. And God, we know that you are so good to us, and we are grateful for this time to be able to pray, to be able to be in communion with you. Lord, as we, almost all of us know, this past week, um, the flash flood and the rain has caused uh, so much damage, so much loss in Louisville and other areas that uh, we are in awe. We are awestruck by uh, just what can happen in just a few short hours, uh, turning all of our days on its head and changing the future for many of us. So God, even in this time, even in after these rains have come through, Lord, would you continue to help us trust you and trust your goodness and that you are walking with us during this time? And would you help our church find those who are hurting, especially uh, because of the flood, and that you would help us be a, a place which is known for uh, meeting the needs of others and serving out of love because you have loved us. God, we pray in your goodness that you would continue to bless Linda Wiggins' recovery. We thank you for the answered prayers this past week and pray that you would continue to bless her. God, we thank you also for Vacation Bible School and what a blessing it was to be with our young people in this church. And Lord, how you have blessed us in that time, the time to worship you with dancing, with singing, uh, with teaching from your word, with fellowship and times of play. Lord, you are a good God and you are good to us uh, through Vacation Bible School. And so we ask that you would continue to build upon that time in our young people's lives, that you would grow in their hearts a heart of faith and trust in you, and that they would be bold to share the good news of Jesus to those around them in their testimony. Lord, we pray for our session that's meeting tomorrow night, for the elders of this church, that you would uh, bless them with wisdom and knowledge on how to love this church well and to lead this church and its ministries. And God, be with Heath as he maneuvers through this time of great transition and, and hurdles and uh, responsibilities that he is juggling. Lord, would you help him to do those things well and to help him rely on you uh, especially. Lord, we want to take just a moment to thank you for, um, for Betty and for Carol, for their example of excellence and how they use their gifts to bless us every Sunday. We thank you for the effort and for the beautiful music that they are able to uh, lead us in. God, we are here because you have brought us here. So would you continue to lead us and bless us during this time of worship? And we thank you again for this time of prayer. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll take a few moments now to give our tithes and offerings to the Lord. And this is a time when we simply give back as we acknowledge that God has given us all things. And by his grace, we're able to give. So if you're able to give, uh, this is a good time to do that. And we'll do that now.
Please pray with me. God, we are so grateful for all that you give us, for especially for um, the people that you give this church. God, we, I neglected to mention our thanksgiving and thanks for uh, Christy McCown and all the volunteers who helped us with Vacation Bible School. Thank you for blessing this church with her and for uh, parents and adults and uh, young adults who love to serve our children. So God, as we give to you this morning, we uh, praise you for all that you've given us. Would you bless these tithes and offerings for your name? Would you help the gospel spread in this town and across the world and do these things all for your glory? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you would remain standing, we'll continue worshiping with hymn 465, hymn 465, which is Marvelous Grace of our loving God. Let's sing together.
Well, if you would, turn with me now to the 14th chapter of the book of Exodus. We're going to read verses 10 through 22, but before I do, let us pray. Father, thank you for your marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Thank you for how you've sustained us in the past week. Uh, Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And as you fed the children of Israel manna anew each day, would you feed us now on the feast that is your word. Send out your light, send out your truth, and let it lead us. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Starting in verse 10 of Exodus 14, hear God's word. When Pharaoh drew near... The people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel, And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And this ends this reading of God's Word. Uh, When I decided to preach on this text, it was before the floods, and yeah, it's okay. We've got to deal with it. Laughter is always a good way to deal with it, but a fitting text nonetheless So we've been talking about this concept of transfigurational living. And based on 2 Corinthians 3, we're talking about the fact that the way God is ordained to change his people into the likeness of Christ is through their beholding the glory of Christ. And God displayed his glory. I mean, of all the places in Scripture, we see God displaying his glory. The Red Sea is near the top. And... The angle that I want to take on this today is I want to talk about how God leads us and how God guides us. How do you walk in the will of God? How do you make decisions that will glorify God? 
How can you know what to do with your life? Um, and this text shows us a great deal about God's strange method of guidance. Now, I heard a David Jeremiah sermon this past week where he, he told a story about getting a rental car, and it was a brand new rental car, and so he did not have a new car, has not had a new car in a while, so he wasn't up on the latest technology in vehicles. And what he found very quickly in this car was that every time you got just a little off the path, it started beeping at you. And, of course, Amber got a new car a few years ago, and it, it had this feature, and I had never experienced this feature. And we live on a very curvy, hilly road, uh, which we will not be living on that road much longer. But regardless... Um, it's hard to stay between the lines, between the mustard and the mayonnaise, as my dad would say, and beep, 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 it's so obnoxious. And early on, and I still catch myself doing this occasionally, I would talk to the car when it would start beeping at me. And beep, 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 I would say, leave me alone. <laughs> beep, 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 this is a hilly road, give me a break. Beep, beep, beep. I'm not going to keep beeping at you because you'll find me as obnoxious as I found that car. But uh, regardless, David Jeremiah talking about this, he said, don't, don't we all just kind of wish that God put that beep, beep, beep feature on our lives? That every time we kind of start to swerve from the path a little bit, he would just start beeping at us? And I thought about that and, and kind of no, uh, because all I would hear was beep, 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 beep all the time. But kind of yes, because, man, it's so easy to get off the path and not realize that we're getting off the path. So what I want you to see from this passage today, in terms of God's guidance, is that there's a sense in which, you know, he hasn't given us the beep, beep, beep. And, uh, but there's also a sense in which he has. So to prove that I can preach a sermon that's not three points, I only have two today. Uh, how he hasn't installed the beep, 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 but how he kind of has as well. So number one, how he hasn't put the beeper on our lives. So there are times as a believer when you will experience a lot of confusion and feel like God is not doing a good job guiding you. You see it with the Israelites in this passage. They're grumbling against the Lord and, and Moses basically saying, you know, this would have been a lot easier a lot better if you'd have just left us in Egypt. I mean, we were slaves after all, but at least we knew our next meal was coming. At least we had roofs over our heads. Um, I'm not sure I tr this is being anachronistic, but I'm not sure I trust God's GPS, uh, especially considering the fact, and this is an easy reference to the office that I'm going to avoid, but acknowledge he's guiding us straight into a sea. And I'm not sure that I trust it. Uh, the commentator Corey Driver says, Imagine how confused the people of Israel would have felt. They were now free and rich. They'd plundered the Egyptians and left with many valuables, only to be threatened again by the same violent system that they thought they had left behind forever. It's like, God, I thought you were getting us out of Egypt. And now here come the Egyptians roaring after us, uh, right on our tail, they want to go back to Pharaoh. They don't want to fight the battle that seems to be impending uh, because Pharaoh is presently trying, at worst, to kill them or at best to enslave them again. Uh, the writer Joan Didion says, We are well advised to keep on nodding terms with the people we used to be, uh, whether we find them attractive company or not. Otherwise, they turn up unannounced and surprise us, hammering on our mind's door at 4 a.m., of a dark night and demand to know who deserted them, who betrayed them, who's going to make amends. And see, the confusing thing here, here comes the old enslaver in the dark of night, 4 a.m., so to speak, demanding amends. And that's part of what's confusing about the Christian life, really, is as you become a believer, you think everything's going to get better, you think everything's going to make sense, you think everything's going to work out, and then your past sins, your past enslavement, your past bondage, your past self, and even your past enslaver, Satan himself. Sometimes they show up in the middle of the night 
demanding amends. And so Didion says you've got to keep on terms. That even though you may start a new life, everything's not always going to be perfect. Life can be very confusing, even for the believer. Here's the next confusing thing. The cloud and the pillar of light. Uh, did you notice that it changes position? It's a beautiful thing. Uh, because I had never seen this before uh, until studying the passage this past week. But the cloud essentially becomes light to the Israelites and darkness to the Egyptians. But at the same time, it's changing positions. Verse 21 of our passage. The Lord went before them. Uh, go back to Exodus 13. Exodus 13, when the cloud first appears, verse 21, it says the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. Now in chapter 14, it's totally changing positions. It pulls a maverick in Top Gun, right? It hits the brakes and let them fly right by. It goes backwards behind the Israelites now. The presence of God was in front of them. Now the presence of God is behind them. It wasn't predictable. Again, Corey Driver says, The Israelites proceeded through the sea at night with the water piled up as walls to their right and left. The only source of light was a giant pillar of fire behind them. Again, consider the human experience of the narrative. To their right and left, walls of watery death. Behind them, the holy fire that they had counted on to lead them, and in front of them, only uncertainty and their own shadows. So the essential thing, when you feel like you're not getting guidance, is to believe that the God who saved you is going to continue saving you, even when it's only shadows in front of you, when everything is uncertain. John Calvin commenting, on the passage says, Now the Israelites, when, though preserved by God's hand, they reject as much as possible his proffered grace, are an example to us of how many repeated salvations are necessary for us. That's John Calvin saying that. In order that God may bring us to perfect salvation. Calvin summarizing the Christian life. He's saying it's just God having to save us and save us and save us and save us from our own rejection of his grace and of his guidance. Now, his salvation in this passage, where does God lead the people? Right into the sea. The place they least would have expected and the place they least wanted to go. The Israelites, you read the Bible, you read the Old Testament, you find out they didn't like the sea. Sea stories are not good, but sometimes God takes us to the place we least want to go to give us the thing that we most need. And this is beautiful because God was showing them and he's showing us that he can make a way where there is no way. When it seems there is no path, he can make a path. When it seems like we're lost, he can find us over and over and over again. And this kind of gets to the heart of why I chose to preach on this passage in this, my inaugural series, because a friend gave me a book a few months ago called Red Sea Rules by Robert J. Morgan. Uh, who's a pastor in Nashville. The book was very moving to me. It was very encouraging to me. It was very helpful to me. And what Robert Morgan does in that book is give us principles that we can learn uh, f about God's guidance from the Red Sea. And I wanted to share one thing with you from it. His first principle is, when you find yourself in a difficult, confusing situation, realize that God means for you to be there. You were not there by accident. God wanted the Israelites in the Red Sea because that was going to be his means of salvation and his means of deliverance for the Israelites. It wasn't a GPS failure. They were in the will of God. Morgan begins a section of the first chapter by quoting J.I. Packer, who was quoting a hymn. He knows the way he taketh, even if for the moment we do not. So he tells, Morgan tells a story in the book about a, a woman named Darlene Diebler. And the story is that on her, this is a quote, on their first wedding anniversary, August 18 of 1938, Russell and Darlene Diebler arrived in New Guinea to labor in the jungles for Christ. 
when the Japanese invaded the East Indies, the two were torn apart, and Russell was interned in a concentration camp where he died. Darlene was imprisoned in another military camp where she suffered years of forced labor, indignity, near starvation, and afflictions such as dysentery, dysentery, and intestinal worms. One day she was singled out for execution. Shock troops took her to a death camp and directed her toward a stark cell. These words were written on the door in chalk. This person must die. The guard shoved her in the cell, and as the door slammed shut, Darlene fell on her knees to peer through the keyhole. When she saw the key make a complete revolution, she knew she was as good as dead. See, moments like that, call those Red Sea moments, where God, why did I go to the jungles? Why didn't you beep at me? Why didn't you tell me this was going to happen? Why didn't you tell me I was going to lose my husband? Why didn't you tell me that I was going to be locked up in a cell with the words inscribed on the door, this person must die? Continuing, as the footsteps of the guard receded, Darlene fell backward in a cold sweat, trembling, fighting off sheer terror. Just then she found herself singing a song she had learned as a child in Sunday school back in Iowa. Here are the words. Fear not, little flock, whatever your lot, he enters all rooms, the doors being shut. He never forsakes, he never is gone, so count on his presence in darkness and dawn. Darlene was later released, and she wrote, I knew they could lock me in, but they couldn't lock my Lord out. Jesus was there with me. That cell on death row became my sanctuary. That phrase, he enters all rooms, the doors being shut, it moved me. Because, you know, you have in the gospel, after the resurrection of Christ, when the disciples are gathered in the upper room, it says the doors being locked, not just shut, but locked. It said Christ entered the room. And you could get into all kinds of speculation about what exactly happened there. I like C.S. Lewis uh, in The Great Divorce. You know, he says, as you go to heaven, you don't become simply a ghost. You actually become more solid, as if Jesus could pass through a wall not because he was a ghost, but because he was more solid than the wall. Like, we can pass through water because we're more solid than water. That's Lewis's explanation. It's, it's pure speculation. But regardless, the idea is solid as a rock, that you can be in a locked room. You can be in the Red Sea. You can be in any dangerous situation. And Jesus can show up. He may not give you the beep, beep, beep to guide you in such a way that you'll never enter the dangerous situation, that the doors won't be locked. But sometimes he orchestrates it. God orchestrates it in such a way that we have to face danger. We have to face trouble. We have to face difficulties so that when he shows up, he can get all the more glory. To end this point, Morgan in that book on the Red Sea he ends the chap first chapter with a quote by Andrew Murray, the uh, preacher and theologian, who was going through a very difficult situation in his own life, and he was meditating. And he wrote this note to himself that he later shared with others. In time of trouble, say, First, God has brought me here. It is by His will that I am in this straight place. In that fact, I will rest. Next, God will keep me here in his love and give me grace to behave as his child. Then, he will make this trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. Last, in God's good time, he can bring me out again. How and when? Only he knows. Let me say I am here by God's appointment, in God's keeping, under God's training, for God's time. He can part the Red 
See, even when we don't understand why he's guided us there. That's the first point. There's a sense in which he doesn't give us direct leading, leading, but it's to show us his glory when he parts the sea. Fear not, little flock, whatever your lot. He enters all rooms, the doors being shut. Here's the second point. There's a sense, so there's a sense in which God hasn't given us the guidance, but there's a sense in which he has as well. So back to our text in Exodus 14, 13. It says, Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Here's the goal of the life of all believers, to see the salvation of the Lord. Everything revolves around that. What does it look like to see the salvation of the Lord? Uh, It's to see the surpassing greatness of God's glory. You see that in the passage. Exodus 14 is actually the first place in the Bible where God's glory is explicitly mentioned as the glory of the, the Lord. It mentions it three times in verses 4, 17, and 18. And each time it's saying that God is going to get glory over Pharaoh. What does that mean? It means that God is going to show the people of Israel and the people of Egypt, ultimately, that he is more magnificent than this false god, the Pharaoh. He's going to get glory over him. I'm going to show you people who want to go back to Egypt that I'm better than Egypt, that I'm better than Pharaoh. That's the idea. Remember uh, the quote from Ignatius of Antioch that you may or may not remember that I quoted early on in this series. He said, apart from Christ, let nothing dazzle you. And that's what God's saying in the passage. He's saying, the Egyptians dazzle you. I'm going to show you I'm the dazzling one. Do not, apart from Christ, let nothing dazzle you. See, this is the guidance system that God has given believers above anything else. Are you looking for and are you seeing the glory of Christ? Is he more dazzling to you than all the trinkets of Egypt, all the trinkets of this world? See, we need an aim in life. We need a chief end, as the catechism says. And that chief end is God's glory and our enjoyment of him. Uh, There's a passage in the New Testament where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that our health as believers is determined by the singleness of our eye. He says if your eye be whole or if your eye be single, then the rest of you will be healthy. What does he mean by that? He means that you have to have an aim. You have to have a vision. You have to have something you're looking at that is directing your path. And that thing is to be the glory of Christ. And uh, I heard this couple years ago probably, but it was very helpful to me. Jordan Peterson uh, said that your aim in life will determine how the world opens itself up to you, essentially. How the Red Sea parts, so to speak. And what he means by that is that, I mean, just think about it. If your aim in life is to make money, for instance, how does the world open itself up to you? As a money-making place. Right? You will see dollar signs on everything. Everything's a potential investment. Everything's a potential opportunity. Every person has dollar signs written on their forehead. You, know, you, you say, like P.T. Barnum, a sucker's born you know, every minute. Right? You're always looking for opportunities to take advantage of uh, the financial system, so to speak. Or, or bring that down even to uh, if, because I know you're... I know I've sat in church enough to know what it's like sitting in the pew, and you're thinking, when is this thing going to be over? I'm hungry. Well, if your goal in life is to eat because you're hungry, then how does the world unfold itself to you? As a food-giving, food-offering place, right? And so you pass by, you leave the church, and you drive, and you suddenly start to notice those restaurants, those seven Mexican restaurants, you know, whatever, my favorite thing so far. Um, I've only eaten it one, but I've eaten there four times. Um, but those, those mundane signs start to like flash in neon to you saying, there's food here, there's food here, right? Your aim, I'm hungry, I need food. The food presents itself to you. The world presents itself to you as a food providing, food offering place. And that's where Peterson stops with the analogy. And you know, he says, you've got to figure out a name. Because it's going to determine how the world unfolds itself to you. Well, God has given us a name. And it is a, this world is, our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him. 
Our chief end is to see the glory of Christ and be changed by the glory of Christ. Therefore, the world should present itself to us how? As a glory-beholding, glory-seeing place. And see, that's the GPS system for the Christian life, more than anything. I, gotta, I, I wrote this in my own hand, but I'm going to read it now, even though it w- wasn't necessarily in this order in my sermon. I was listening to Tim Keller's book on prayer when I was driving here yesterday, and he quoted Flannery O'Connor. This just rocked me. She was early in her writing career, struggling to find a footing in that industry, so to speak, and she prayed this. She wrote this in her prayer journal. Dear God, I cannot love thee the way I want to. You are the slim crescent of a moon that I see, and myself is the earth's shadow that keeps me from seeing the whole moon. The crescent is very beautiful, and perhaps that is all one like I am should or could see. But what I'm afraid of, dear God, is that my self-shadow will grow so large that it blocks the whole moon, and that I will judge myself by the shadow that is nothing. So what's she saying? Like, I want to see your glory. That's all. I, my aim is to see your glory, and what I find is you're a sliver of a crescent moon because myself is casting a shadow on you that's keeping me from seeing the whole. See, that's the GPS of the Christian life. The beep, 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 it's not just when you break the Ten Commandments. It's when you find yourself not seeing the glory of Christ as you once did. It's when you find yourself being content not to see the glory of Christ. You, know, you read all these Puritan writers the, and, and the church fathers, these, these Christians who went before us, what you find so much in their writings is they're, they're saying, like, you should have a sense that you're not as close to God as you once were. You should have a sense when it seems like God is withdrawing his presence. Do you have that? Well, that's the beep, beep, beep that should be going off. That's the main thing. Oliver Sacks, you'll hear me refer to semi-regularly, was a British neurologist, and he dealt with all kinds of strange cases of neurology with patients. And uh, he, he chronicled a lot of these in his, in his books. And uh, a lot of them are about sight, how sight can get distorted. Here's one. He tells a story. Uh, he, called, he titled it, Eyes Right. There's a lady who suffered from a massive stroke, and she has lost the concept of the left side of her body. Like, she just doesn't get it. You tell her to turn to the left, she has no idea what, she's, what you're talking about. And this is what he says. When they say, that is, when those attending to her care say, but Mrs. S, there's something on your left. It's right there. She seems not to understand what they say and does not look to the left. If her head is gently turned so that the, the object comes into sight... Uh, in the preserved right half of her visual field, she says, oh, there it is. It wasn't there before. It's just a little rotation, right? And it comes into sight. So she, he writes, knowing it intellectually, she has worked out strategies for dealing with her imperception. Thus she requested and was given a rotating wheelchair. And now if she cannot find something which she knows should be there, she swivels to the right and makes a circle until it comes into view. She finds this signally successful if she cannot find her coffee or dessert. The movement of the Christian life is a constant circling back to the glory of Christ. There are going to be times in your life when you, you think, I can't see it. It's, it's not even a slim sliver of a crescent moon. It's, it's non-existent. The moon is gone. What you have to know is, it is there, but you've gotten off the path and you have to keep circling back and circling back and circling back. Because what it, it's not that God isn't present. It's that we've lost our aim. And so we're not seeing what should be in front of us. That's when the car is beeping at you. Make it your aim to see the glory of Christ. Watch how the world will open up in front of you. Watch what God will do. Fear not, little flock. Whatever your lot, he enters all rooms The door is being shut. He never forsakes. He never is gone. So count on his presence in darkness and dawn. Let us pray. Father, you are so good. You are so glorious. 
and we so often lose sight of that glory. We find ourselves in dark places, in the middle of what looks like to be a Red Sea, in a cell with the door being shut and locked, and we say, God, why did you fail us? Why didn't you beep at us? Why didn't you warn us? Forgetting that all the while, your whole point in leading us to that place was so that we might see a greater sight of your glory. Make that slim crescent of a moon of your glory in our lives. Make it fuller and fuller and fuller into that final day when we stand before Christ and see him as, we, as he is and are thus transformed into his perfect likeness. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing hymn, which is number 125, Let All Things Now Living, 125. Amen. Uh, I'll remind you, if you haven't been to a Sunday night service in a while, uh, today would be a good day to start. Uh, I will be preaching tonight, and I've been very pleased, and I know many of you have, by the, by the attendance on Sunday nights uh, in the last month. So I just want to encourage you, we're starting the week off right in God's house with God's people singing God's praises. I don't know of a better place that we could be. Now leave with God's blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all as we continue this, our short earthly pilgrimage from light into light. Amen. Amen.